Good morning. Merry Christmas. It's the week of. We can say this now. We can say Merry Christmas. It's not too soon, right? Uh, I think the Target starts saying that in like July. But we can start saying that this week, Merry Christmas. Uh, well, I guess they say Happy Holidays. But whatever, like the festive stuff starts way too soon. But we can start saying Merry Christmas. It's officially the week of. And I'm really glad that you are here this morning. And to everybody worshiping online with us, we're glad uh, that you're joining with us as well. We have been following, uh, metaphorically, the three wise men that we say there's not necessarily three of. We don't know. Uh, we don't know that they were necessarily wise or not wise. That's just kind of a title. Uh, these magi, we don't really know where they came from. They probably didn't actually show up at the manger. We've been trying to correct all this stuff. One of the things that is accurate is they did bring three gifts. But really, they brought more than that. And we've been looking at kind of the bigger picture of all of that and trying to, to fix some of the misnomers. We think, well, scholars think, not we, I'm not a scholar, but scholars think uh, that Jesus was at least 18 months old, maybe older, almost two years old, maybe, um, which makes Jesus a toddler at this point. Have you met a toddler? Okay, let me just, let's make sure we start off here so that we're all on the same page together. I believe Jesus is God in the flesh. Like Jesus was a great leader and he's a great speaker and he's very motivational. He's very compassionate. He was a good man and the God man. And I believe Jesus is God for a lot of reasons. By the way, does anyone else believe that Jesus is God? Okay, that 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 deserves a response, right? This is a participatory thing, right? Uh, not a spectator sport, right? So we believe Jesus is God, and I believe that for a whole lot of reasons. But there's at least two reasons that I really believe it. Here's one of them. His siblings called him God. If you've got siblings, like, we're going to have to see some dead people get up, walking on water, Right? I mean, going to the holidays, let's be honest. Most parents are only praying for peace between their kids. Forget the earth. Peace on earth, whatever. I'll just take it in my household for the next two weeks, right? So his siblings called him God. That, that's, that means he had to be God. Here's the second thing. Adult men bowed before a toddler and worshipped him. Right? Now, I've met some toddlers that I wanted to have a physical response to what I experienced with them. It was not worship. <laughs> right? And, and now here's the deal. I know in 2021, most parents worship their toddlers, but we're saying these weren't their parents, right? Th- these are like strangers' kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some of you dads are like, I only like my kids three weeks out of the year. They worshiped strangers' kid who was a toddler. Clearly he had to be God, but they brought these gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We've talked about their first gift was really their best gift. They brought themselves. They followed the star and came into the presence of Jesus. And, and, and the reality is gold is a common gift that we can understand. Some of you ladies are hoping for some gold this week, but probably nobody put frankincense or myrrh on their Christmas list. And yes, you, unless you're a essential oils dealer, um, these seem like unusual gifts. And the fact is, if we were to take a poll this morning, probably most of us have a story of a weird gift that we've received. I'm curious, has anybody ever received an offensive gift, Right. Like, if you ever opened a gift, you're really excited about it, and it was a year's weight loss program. You know? Thank you. I don't, right? Like, you open up the Christmas gift, and it is a gift card to a halitosis doctor. You know? That's bad breath. For the, okay. Um, you're like, I don't think this is a compliment. I think this is bad, right? 
Um, I read a story, a true story this week of a guy who gave like all the people in his life, coworkers, family members, neighbors, his Christmas gift for all the people in his orbit one year was a book entitled The Complete Idiot's Guide to Etiquette. Which like page one has to be. It's bad etiquette to give this book as a gift. <laughs> right? That's what he gave everybody in his life. The Complete Idiot's Guide to Etiquette. Here's a great example. A few weeks ago uh, for Thanksgiving when my family and I were in Steamboat Springs, one of my dear friends, Danny Wisner, preached for us on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And Danny shared some of his personal journey that he walked through a really difficult season of failure and a failed marriage and kind of had lost hope. And, and then God brought Melissa into his wife, who's uh, his, his wife now. And, 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 and when they first started dating, it was around Christmas time. Their first date was right around Christmas. And Danny was smitten. Broke is a joke, but smitten. And she had a really good job. And so he was like, man, I bet she's going to get me a nice gift. I'm going to empty my bank account on this woman. So the dude bought her a really nice winter coat. They lived up in Ohio. Winter coat is necessary. Expensive coat. Bought her a sweater. Then bought her like a name brand, high dollar, expensive sweater. And then bought her a necklace from Tiffany's. They'd been on one date. Danny, you're creepy. I hope you're, hope you're watching. She bought him a pair of cheap gym shorts and a cookbook for single guys who would eat canned food. It was called A Man, A Plan, and A Can. <laughs> Which... Like the story behind that gift is, I assume you're going to stay single for a while. You know what I mean? Like there's some implications there. And it, it's not lost on them. All these years later, married, two kids, whatever. This is still a great, oh man, I hope you get the chance to just say the three words to Danny one day. Man, plan, can. And watch the emotional response. That's just a bad gift. However, there is a worse gift. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So grab your Bible, if you would, please. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, please keep that. Let that be our gift to you today. But we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition where we hold up our Bibles and say a creed together and a prayer together before we dive in to this book. So let's hold them up and let's say this together this morning. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind, and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you. You can turn to Matthew chapter 2. It's page 757. If you're using one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, uh, that's where Matthew chapter 2 begins. It'll actually be on the next page. I guess there's not a seat in front of you. I said, I don't need the seat in front of you. Y'all don't have a seat in front of you. Way to go sitting on the front row. That's awesome. Yes. Um, bring your Bibles. So... <laughs> Matthew chapter 2, uh, our core text here in this story, this is the only place in the whole Bible we, we hear about this uh, undefined number of wise men, um, and we read about them following the star, and then uh, the heart of, of our text for these weeks together, this Advent series, is verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which will be the heartbeat of our very brief time together in the word this Christmas Eve is that idea. 
Verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense. And our focus for today, myrrh. There is record of myrrh being used in historical documents and in God's word that date past 2000 B.C., 2,000 years before Christmas, 2,000 years before Jesus came, 2,000 years before he received this gift, we have record, both historically and biblically, of myrrh being a common use. In the scriptures alone, just in God's word, there are 17 references or times in the scriptures that myrrh is used. One of those times we see that that the uses uh, for myrrh involve beautification, Right? Uh, there's a lot of uses for myrrh, just like we talked about last week with frankincense. If you Google uses for myrrh, you'll come up with millions uh, of results. It's still used around the world today. But one of the uses for myrrh was for beautification in the story of Esther. As difficult and broken of a story that is, we see myrrh referenced specifically. As a matter of fact, uh, those who were a part of this ordeal spent 12 months of this beautification process. Six months of the 12 months involved a whole lot of myrrh. Right. So I don't know what it did, but apparently six months worth of it, it better do something. Right. The other time that we see or the other use rather that we see it used in the scriptures, we see it used a lot for a perfume or for a cologne. Right. In the book of Psalms, myrrh is talked about as being uh, an aroma on the king's garments. Right. It was the kingly cologne. That's not what it was called. In Proverbs chapter six and seven, it's used by the seductress woman. In the Song of Solomon, it's used in their relationship as like a don't I smell nice, love me, right? It's, it's used as this perfume uh, in the scriptures as well. It's also used as a painkiller in Mark chapter 15. It's mixed with wine and offered to Jesus on the cross, which he refuses because he was determined to feel the full weight of the execution on behalf of our sins. Praise his name. But it's used as a painkiller. It's also used uh, as an antiseptic. Uh, to help treat wounds. It's still used around the world for that, sometimes uh, misused around the world for that. If you Google uses for myrrh, it'll be like, hey, don't use it to treat gum disease. That's not real. But it's still thought around the world today that myrrh can help with gum disease, and some people use it almost like we would use toothpaste, or they uh, mix it with a liquid and use it as mouthwash. But the most common use in the Scriptures and historically and around the world today is it's used in burial. It's used for embalming the dead. So the ancient Egyptians, right, the mummies and the pyramids and all that stuff, right, they would fill the body of the deceased with myrrh and then mummify them. By this time in history, uh, they used it not on the inside of the body, but on the outside of the body. They covered the body with Myrrh. As a matter of fact, we read in the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, chapter number 19, rather, that Nicodemus, the same Nicodemus we meet in the dark of night in John chapter 3, now boldly comes out in the light of day after the execution of Jesus. And he has a bunch of stuff for the treatment of Jesus' body. And depending on what translation you read, it's, it's a difficult Math equation to translate into English. The ESV says 75 pounds of embalming stuff. Some translations say it's actually double that. There's a lot of stuff. 
But the only thing that's given a name is myrrh. He brought myrrh and other stuff. 75 pounds at least worth to treat the body of Jesus. Which means that this toddler was presented with burial products. Talk about a bad Christmas gift. Right? And if he was still the baby in the manger, talk about a bad baby shower gift. Here's burial products. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. Him bless us, everyone. Anyways. Because the last thing we want to think of in the moment of celebrating life is that life is fragile and life is short. And I mean, good grief, we don't even want to, we don't even want to think about such a thing. Scholars agree that if we're looking for symbolism in these gifts, myrrh represents that Jesus came to be the suffering servant, the Lamb of God who would be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And so in every gift that the wise men brought, we're seeing the gift of Jesus to them and to the world. In their following of the star, we see the gift that Jesus is our guide. He's orchestrating everything to draw us to himself. In the gift of gold, we see that Jesus is our king. In the gift of frankincense, we see that Jesus is our great high priest. And in the gift of myrrh, we see this morning that Jesus is our savior. He's our savior. With his own life, he will save us from ourselves. And what I want to say, first of all, this morning, and this might seem like such a small point. This might be one of those, well, duh, that's a given. Of course, I believe that. I just believe it's worthy to park on this morning. It's the reason he came. Jesus was born to die. It's not what happened to him. It's why he came. It's not the end of the story. It's the intent of the story. It's the purpose for which he came to earth. The reason there's a Christmas is because there would be a cross. He came to die. He said so himself in Matthew chapter 20. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. It's why I came. In the gospel of Luke chapter 9, he said, I must suffer. I must be betrayed. I must be killed. And on the third day, I must be raised. Is what the plan was. It was the plan A. Not the plan B. Not the what do we do now. It was the intent of his coming. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about theologically God condescending to man. I love that phrase. Condescending is usually used in a negative term, but ooh, that's positive. That God would come to us a little lower than the angels. And here's why. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's why he came. In Revelation chapter 13, calls Jesus the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before there was sin, there was a plan to be a remedy for sin. It's the whole intent. Skip Heitzig said this, Jesus is the only child ever born with the distinct purpose of death. And unless we see the shadow of the cross falling on the manger, we don't see the manger clearly 
at all. The crucifixion didn't happen to him. It's why he came. When I was young, there was this traditional song that was sung that's called Born to Die Upon Calvary. Is is the purpose. It's the reason. Dustin Ben, which is a, a seminary professor, he said this. He said, despite how warm and fuzzy we make Christmas, Christmas is inseparably linked to Good Friday and Easter. The baby born is the man who dies on a cross. The baby crying is the man who cried. It is finished. The baby sleeping is the man who rose from the dead. He was born to die. And so I want to springboard 700 years back in time from the gift of myrrh. And look at a prophecy if you're using your phone, scroll over. Or if you're using your Bibles, turn over to Isaiah chapter 53. As you're turning there, I want to show you a picture that I saw online. Maybe some of you have seen this from time to time. Um, an old artist rendering of the birth of Jesus. And the artist put a crucifix on the wall. Right? And it says, spoiler alert. Right? Which is both hilarious and glorious. That's the Christmas spoiler. His intent was not to come establish his kingdom for his own good. His intent was come and lay down his life so that we could be invited into it. He was born to die. And we get a glimpse of that plan, not back before the foundation of the world, but at least around 680 years before he was born, before the gift of myrrh was given, we read this prophecy from the prophet Isaiah looking forward to what this baby would accomplish. And we're just going to read a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 53. And we could spend a ton of time here, but we will not this morning. Verse number three. And it's using this past tense language because the prophet has seen this vision. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, and I love this language, acquainted with grief. Aren't you glad that if you're experiencing grief, Jesus is acquainted with what that feels like? Isn't that beautiful? He's acquainted with grief. He understands. Do you face a Christmas season with some loss? Do you face a Christmas season Uh, Feeling hurt or mistreated or rejected or overlooked or criticized or misunderstood. Jesus understands. He's acquainted with the things that grieve us. Isn't that beautiful? And as one from whom men hide their faces, we despised. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs. See, I think it's good news that he was acquainted with them. I think it's better news that he carries them on our behalf. Come on, somebody. Good grief. Like, it's not just that he understands. He goes, P.S., I got this. He carries our sorrows. The reason those things feel like they're going to crush you is because you were not designed to carry them. He carries our sorrows. Hallelujah. 
Yet, we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Here's why that's amazing. Because all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned, nope, not me, yes, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, the Savior, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And that's why he came. He left the throne of glory to be crushed on our behalf. And this morning, I think many in this room would say, I believe that. Many in this room would say, I believe that for a long time. That's not new. I told you at the beginning of this series, there's this pastoral pressure. Every advent, how do we tell the same story in a fresh way or in a new way? And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. We don't need a new version of this story. We need a reawakening to the glory of it. I've said this a hundred times. Tim Keller says the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life. It is the A through Z. We don't move beyond it. We only move into a deeper understanding of the implications of it. The best news this Christmas, the best gift this Christmas is still that Jesus would come to die on our behalf. There's nothing better. There's nothing truer than that he would come to die for sheep. All we like sheep, not me, everyone. Oh, that's me. That is not a compliment, right? He's not all we like eagles, right? There's no Christian school that's like, what's our mascot? The stupid sheep. (laughs) Please pick the dumbest animal that's ever been. Our mascot will just run into a brick wall. Like, it's not a compliment. All we like sheep have gone astray because that's what sheep do. Literally, like they are not intelligent. They cannot defend themselves. They cannot feed themselves. They literally will eat a pasture dry and just start eating dirt and die. This grass tastes terrible. Tastes like dirt. It's dirt, you dumb sheep. Like (laughs) that scared somebody. I said, sheep, mom. <laughs> the only person who watches our service online is my mom. i got to make sure. No. Um. So this is a true story. Craig Rochelle told this story, and I looked it up to make sure it was for real and not just a preacher using an illustration. In 2005, in the country of Turkey, 1,500 sheep followed each other off of a cliff. A narrow cliff, not like they all at one time were like, oh, we don't know what this is. No, like, I'm going to go like 
1,500 sheep followed each other off of a cliff. Which would be ridiculous if that's not just what I see the culture doing right now. Here's the interesting thing. Only 400 of the 1,500 sheep died. Because the other 1,100 landed on the softest pillow that could ever exist. They were like, wee, or whatever noise a sheep makes. And then they landed and they're like, this isn't bad. No, I don't know. <laughs> Merry Christmas from our family to yours. <laughs> and in conclusion, no. And literally, left to my own way, I will follow the most aimless advice that's ever been and follow a culture running away from truth, and running away from peace, and running away from wholeness, and running away from dignity and kindness. And I'll just blindly follow them right off that same cliff unless a Savior steps in and rescues me from myself. And the amazing thing is it says he was led like a lamb. A lamb laid down his life for sheep. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. That's the glory of the gift. He was born to die. Jesus is our Savior. And because we're aimless and self-destructive like sheep, for us to be rescued, it demanded his life. It demanded his sacrifice. And even though it's a little offensive to be called a sheep, he looked at our sheepness and decided we were worth it. <laughs> right? I was, I was driving down the road listening to uh, sports talk radio this week in between phone calls and a commercial came on. And I, I was only like one-tenth listening, but it was for jewelry. And it clearly was for an expensive jewelry store because they kept explaining to the listeners that it was worth it. Like literally, I feel like the dude reading the script was like, ain't nobody going to afford this. But it's really nice. She'll love it, I promise. She'll put it on your credit card. Like they're, they're going over and overboard about how it's worth the expense of this jewelry. And then he said, so hurry up and get here because it's 20% off. It's priceless, but it's on sale. And in that moment, right, not just because I'm a preacher or whatever, I'm always looking for illustrations. Like I just had this thought. Jesus looked at me in my waywardness and in my brokenness and knew there was no sale. There was no easy way out. There was no discount. He knew that he would have to slay his son to rescue me, and he deemed it worthy. Before the foundation of the world, I believe before Adam was formed from dust, God decided that we were worth it. And if you want to find some self-esteem this morning, you can look at what you've accomplished in the last year or you can look at the baby in the manger. And without his death, 
we would be lost. Skip Heitzig pointed this out. I thought this was so interesting. He said, none of us are saved by his life. If he did not live a life without sin, he couldn't become our savior. But living a life without sin and then floating to heaven, we're still lost. We're not saved by his words. Full of the Holy Spirit, they could not save us from our sins. We weren't saved by his miracles. We weren't saved by his goodness. We're not saved by his bride. We can only be saved by his death. It's our only hope. And in the beauty and the, the, the fun and the festivities of this Christmas season, let's be reminded that he counted you worthy of the death of his son. And that's why he came. To save us. Jesus is our savior. He's our savior. And that, by the way, is unlike any story any other religion has to offer. Because pretty much every religion in the history of recorded human history, acknowledges that we're like sheep. And every religion says, here's how you can be a little less sheepy. Do this list of rules. Here's how you can climb up out of the sheep stall. But the Christmas story is God saying, no, you can't get to me. I'm going to come to you. The only religion in the world where God comes to us to save us from ourselves. This is the glory of Christmas. This is the ultimate gift. I read this about myrrh. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Myrrh is a gum-like substance in its pure form. If you use essential oils, you have it in a liquid form, but it starts out with a gum-like substance. And the thing is, think of silly putty. Remember that from back in the day? If you leave it sitting out too long, what happens? It gets really, really hard. And I want you to hear this. They say that myrrh gives its sweetest perfume when it's crushed. That's true of the gift, too. He was crushed for our iniquities. And that's the sweetest thing in the whole world. There's nothing better than that he was crushed for us. And I believe that demands a response. Love so amazing, so divine. Remember that old hymn? Demands my soul, my life, my all. That crushing on our behalf demands a response. It's too good to ignore. And I believe the first response is receive the gift. It seems so obvious that we can almost go the whole morning without saying it again. If there's somebody here who doesn't know for sure that you've experienced 
the joy of being saved from yourself, saved from your past, saved from your regrets, saved from your failures, saved from what somebody else said about you that might or might not even be true. There's salvation in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know for sure you've experienced that, there's nothing else that matters this week. There's nothing on your agenda. There's nothing on your calendar. There's no event you're headed to. There's no gift you're hoping for. It's more important than knowing that you're at peace with God because of what God did himself. In just a moment, we're going to sing about God coming to earth. And while we do, there will be some folks in the prayer room in the back, and we would love to have that conversation with you. Or maybe you would just say, no, what hit me this morning is that he's acquainted with my grief, and I just need somebody to pray with me. If you're worshiping online, you can text PRAYFW right now. I don't care when you're watching or where you're watching. We'd love to have the most important Christmas conversation of your life. Do you know for sure, for sure that you've received the greatest gift ever given? That's the first response. But I think there's more to it than that too, right? Because if I've received the gift and it doesn't mean anything to me, change me. If God allowed himself to be crushed for me, then I can't just be a spectator to the Christmas nativity. (laughs) Like I'm all in. That's got to mean something to me more than anything, right? If this is true, if what we say is true and we sing about it's true and we listen to stories and read books about it, if all this is true, then it means something. It has to be a central thing. It has to be a top shelf thing. It has to be a defining thing. I believe it demands a response because it's unlike anything this world has to offer. To give a gift with no strings attached is the most countercultural thing that could be. Right? Sometimes I don't even like receiving a gift because I'm like, oh, I didn't get anything for them. Now I feel bad. I've received the gift of guilt. Right? And now I got to go buy them something. I don't even know what they would want. And yet with this gift, he asks for nothing. He demands nothing. Which is the heart of Jesus. We told you several weeks ago that we were hoping to provide some Christmas gifts for some needy families here in the community. And we talked to several families and Only one family actually gave us a list of gifts. And we haven't told you about it because somebody already took those from you. They robbed you of your blessing. Several weeks ago, matter of fact, the week that I made the announcement, I'm going to put put them on the spot a little bit this morning. The Waldo family talked as a family and said, we want to sponsor a family. Teenagers said, we will choose to receive less gifts in order to give more. Right? How cool is that? And so Lance has been coordinating this conversation with this family to find out what do you really want. And and here's why I think only one family sent us stuff. is because they assumed there were strings attached. And this one sweet mom who finally did tell us what her kids wanted and and what they needed. And she she gets on the phone with Lance and she says, okay, I'm sorry. I I don't want to be ungrateful, but I just got to ask, what's the hook? 
And he's like, no, 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 there, there's no, there's no hook. And she's like, no, 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 like, do I have to come join your church? He's like, no. I mean, we'd love to meet you sometime or whatever, but like, she has a church home. Stay plugged in. We just want to love on your family. So we heard you were hurting. She's like, we're all right. But what do we have to do? No, 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 nothing. Well, then why did you choose us? Because God loves you. Right, but how did you know? Because your name was brought to us. By who? I don't know. No, 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 wait. There has to be more. And Lance just kept saying, there's nothing more. We just want you to know that God loves you this Christmas. And she starts to cry on the phone and goes, that, that's just too good to be true. But there's a better gift than that. That's too good to not be true. <laughs> Jesus was born to be crushed for you and for me. It's why God came. That is the gift that should be at the center of our Christmas celebration this week.